This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And then came um, finding out about his affairs the first time. And he kind of broke down, started crying, said he wanted to kill himself and that he was a sex addict. And he needed treatment and threatened to kill himself if I left. And I was still going to leave, but my eldest son, bless him, and this is on me, it's not on him, but it just kind of shows I can be so, make poor decisions based on wanting to do right by somebody else. Um, my youngest son had just under a year old, and we had already had a house fire that my, uh, that Chris had started, which cost us thousands as well. So he's under a year old, and I find all of these sex messages, and my eldest had said to me, Mom, can't you just put up with it? Don't make him go through what I went through when he left dad. And, um, I think that, and just the hurt and the guilt of what I put my eldest through, taking it, the responsibility on myself that, you know, it's my fault I got in another bad marriage. And if I walk away, then it's the kids bearing the brunt. I'm Donna Anderson. And this is True Love Fraud Stories. All her life, Erin Lum of California has been willing to jump in and help whenever anyone needs it. This is a wonderful quality, but one that users, like her ex-husband, are only too happy to exploit. Christopher Lum sank his claws into Erin and took her for everything he could get until she finally said, no more. And then he used their child. It was always such a nonstop whirlwind of self-created drama that he was just puppet mastering, that you were always jumping through and never knowing really what's real, not real, what... It's just his creation and what actually exists. It's phenomenal. Erin grew up in multiple cities between Texas and California. Her mother married a lot, so they kept relocating. By age 16, Erin wanted to move on with her own life, so she graduated early from high school and joined the Coast Guard. She loved the water. But when her enlistment was up at age 19, she left the service. Erin worked several jobs, eventually becoming a receptionist in a dental office. 
that's where she met her first husband. They had a son together, but the marriage didn't last. When they split up, Erin was 31 years old. Through her first husband, Erin met Christopher Lum, her second husband, and the man who became her abuser. My first spouse had said, uh, hey, Chris is going through a hard time. His wife was cheating on him. Poor guy, single dad. Why don't you introduce him to some of your single friends, maybe clean his house and offer to babysit for him? And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, somebody needs help. I'll jump in and go help. Um, And I was supposed to be, had a friend, Wendy, and it's just like she was usually up for a good time and she was willing to meet him and um, kind of just tried to do my part to be that supportive person, um, especially when asked to do so, that someone's going through a hard time. Um, But it turned out he was interested in me and invited me over to his workplace and uh, definitely got very interested very, very, very fast, um, which was surprising to me. Um, and so, you know, I had to place the call to Wendy of, um, you know, sorry, he's showing interest in me, um, call things off, but she hadn't met him yet. So I, I don't feel t- too horrible. And God knows that she was definitely spared now from a bad experience. Chris Lum targeted Erin although she didn't realize what was happening. He seductively told her that he connected with her. He somehow determined that their families came from the same small town. Her quiet pleasures were providentially his quiet pleasures. Chris quickly figured out that Erin was a caring woman who was willing to help. In other words, she was a nice juicy target. It's just very, very fast-paced. Not too much as far as requests first off. Um, It it would be more like, I'm at work. I need these supplies. Can you bring these to me? Or I'm doing this with my family. Can you help out and, you know, something for my son? And then it became more and more of my my evil ex and my kid needs help and my grandmother needs help and things like that, where I just kept getting drawn in to help with things. Um, and then you know, the comments of that he had never met anyone like me before. And John was a fool, my first spouse, um, that all he ever wanted was a family and his wife, he, this was a term he used a lot. It was stole that from me and stole my child from me and weird comments like that. While Chris was asking for Erin's help, he was also dazzling her with exciting stories of his life. He had told me that he was a former Coast Guard person. Um, and it was interesting because when we would talk, like I would talk about my base life and he'd be like, oh, I know that person. And and kind of like look away to the distance, like he was remembering a story and he could accurately describe some of the bases I had been at, not in specific detail, but just enough. Um, so, and he told me that he had a prior landscaping business and that his evil girlfriend who he trusted with the taxes had messed it up. And 
Um, what else did he say about himself? That he had had a prior annulment um, with the woman committing fraud with his first marriage, and it only lasted a couple months, and that he had bought her and her parents a house and the annulment, something with the fraud, they kept all of the property and that the second wife was having multiple affairs and uh, threesomes and her family were cops and were out to get them and just acting crazy and stuff like that and really abusive. Um, and that his grandmother was on dire straits and so he took her in to support her and that his twin brother um even though he tried to keep him close was you know not to be trusted had an extensive criminal history and even though he would have his brother around not to trust his brother and he told me he was a paramedic uh at the time and that he when he served in the military in the coast guard that he had been a boarding officer which i laughed at because a, a boarding officer is not your rate it's your your job duty for the day and so i remember laughing it's like look you're talking to a coastie what's your rate and he is like boarding officer and i just kind of reminded him hey i served I, I know what a boarding officer does, but what was your rate? And then he said that he had been um, in the medical and that he had been a diver. And oh, this is something else he told me, that he had been a for former Los Angeles City Fire Department, that he had joined that and became one of their divers with their search and rescue team as well. Chris told Aaron that he retired from the fire department because his second wife was jealous of his work. What she had thought that all firemen were out having affairs, so that she had threatened to leave him if he didn't leave the fire department. So he left the fire department to preserve their marriage. Um, so that was quite the story too, but he had all of these stories of different interactions and saying that he had gone out on this search and rescue to Castaic Lake um, doing the diving, looking for these victims of a boating accident. But the same thing with the Coast Guard is that he had said he had been a diver there and had gotten um, uh, hypothermia from one of the events that he had done diving there. So there was always these detailed, intricate stories that came with everything there. And, of course, it turned out to all be pure BS. None of it was true. So when she first met Chris, did Aaron find him attractive? I was attracted to his confidence and that he seemed Mr. Cool and the, the center of life and the center of the party where I was a little bit more of, I, I've been described as the mousy type and the quiet type and a little bit more introverted. So I, I think it was more an attraction of this bigger-than-life personality taking an interest in complimenting me, this person. As far as, you know, his looks or anything like that, it, he was average. 
Um, but I, I can't say that, you know, if I had just seen him on the street, I would have given him a second look and been drooling. He wasn't really my type. Very slender, slightly emaciated, like, not, I wouldn't say emaciated, but like sunken in cheeks. Um, and I found out more about this later. Um, really close shaved head. And um, always with like the shaved, carved beard, short beard stubble, like in design styles, which just kind of came off as a little bit flashy. Um, and just a little bit of a bravado about him is probably the best way to describe it. Despite all the bravado, Chris's life was a mess. He was always in some sort of financial crisis. So um, having to leave his trailer park and his, get his grandmother to her daughter's house. Okay, so they needed money for that. And his grandmother's getting old and all of this. And needed help moving her, needed extra money for this. Okay, here's the money and I'll help move whatever's best for her. And like, oh, now because of your divorce and the complications with your ex, there's a problem with your trailer. And they lived in a trailer park. Okay, great. Well, now you need emergency housing and you need to stay with me just temporarily. Okay, well, all right. And the next thing you know, I go to work and he's completely moved in. Chris soon started telling Erin that he wanted to have a child with her. She still wasn't divorced. Her court case was moving slowly. But Chris didn't want to wait. With Erin, he said, he could have the family he always dreamed of. He had always done this. All I ever wanted was a family. All I ever wanted was to be a father. And she stole that from me. She stole my son from me. And what I want is a family, and what I want was this. And um, no offense to my youngest son, if he ever hears this, I had intention to be done with having kids. Um, but it, it was a bit of this request to fulfill this for him, and that his dream was to just have this stable family and that I was the, the mother and woman that he had always envisioned this with and what he had really been looking for his whole life. So Erin allowed herself to become pregnant with his child. Still, Chris's problems continued and he kept her busy putting out his fires. Then that he's getting lawsuits from his ex stating that he never paid child support and she's such an evil woman because he always paid her in cash and she's just spending it on herself but now he's got a ten thousand dollar thing and it's going to hurt us if we don't do this and okay so great now you need 10 grand and uh moving on from that it was there was always a reason why he wasn't supposedly getting paid or an employer had stiffed him. And even after marriage, that the checks just wouldn't appear. And so I was always financially supporting us. And that 
um, he would just constantly overdraw the account, overdraw. It's like, look, you need to make sure the money's there before you just spend it. And you're spending it on your hobbies and you're going out to these meals and you keep having to take these trips that you're there for work, but then you don't somehow get paid for it. If you're wondering if someone in your life is a narcissist, sociopath, or psychopath, and you need advice on escape and recovery, talk to Donna. Donna Anderson, author of lovefraud.com and host of True Love Fraud Stories, offers personal consultations. Since she founded Love Fraud in 2005, Donna has collected more than 10,000 cases, so she's probably heard a story like yours before, you're certainly not alone. Donna is also a certified Reiki master. Reiki is a healing approach for stress reduction and relaxation. Donna combines this with her deep emotional release technique to help you let go of the pain of your experience. Book your session today at lovefraud.com forward slash talk to Donna. Chris did work as a set medic for the entertainment industry. He provided emergency first aid on movie, television, and commercial sets. Chris actually brought Aaron into the business. A non-union show needed a medic. Would she do it? She was qualified, so she took the job for extra money and has been working as a set medic ever since. Shows like... Uh, the first Avatar, Criminal Minds, numerous TV shows. Uh, TV shows mainly more than um, commercials and features. Uh, American uh, Crime Story. I, I know I'm forgetting so many. I, I've been in it for so many years, and you end up working everything eventually. Erin <laughs> had two jobs. She was working more than ever, long, long hours, even though she was pregnant. But there was never enough money. Chris had moved himself and all his stuff into Erin's apartment, where she lived with her older son. They had a baby on the way. The apartment was not big enough for that many people, so they moved into a rental home. So we were renting a home and a fire broke out in the garage and I was, had just given birth 10 days before. And so the cost of that, it turned out that the only insurance was mine and that his claims of having insurance were false. Um, he stated it was due to faulty electric, but what turned out, I found the court records on it, is he had overloaded the electrical stuff with all of his hobbies in the garage, and so the fire was actually his fault. Because of the fire, they had to spend money staying in motels. Then Chris had them living in his twin brother's home, sleeping on air mattresses on the floor. That was just a hellish nightmare, and I... 
I just finally had to say, I cannot do this. This isn't a healthy experience for the kids. I can't be here. Your brother is having sex parties. Your behavior with the women who are coming over seems very inappropriate. Um, and then the brother needing money and thousands of dollars while I'm already paying out every cent I have just for the temporary housing and these costs and the motels. And it just bled me absolutely dry. And this desperate need for me to get back to work just to refill the money from this. So that was the whole fire experience. And then we kept having these break-ins because um, not all of the property was moved. And with it, when there's a fire, you're supposed to leave stuff there. And it's just like, my stuff kept going missing and my stuff kept getting robbed. And it's just like, okay, the place is locked down. And it just seemed odd. And why the things I bought and the things I had. And then he would sneak in and move his stuff out. And it's just like, okay, great. Well, your stuff is safe, but mine keeps disappearing. Erin had a new baby, no permanent home, disappearing property, and financial pressure that never let up. And then her problems escalated. Chris took money from her eldest son's college fund. He did another excuse about money needed for his child and his evil ex, and he was going to pay me back and all of that, and he was just too ashamed to ask. But, of course, the money never came back. Um, and I, I transferred the control of my eldest son's college account over to his biological father just because of this un- deep-seated, unnerve, kind of deep-down feeling of he keeps promising me that it will come back. And just after this next crisis, he can pay me back and this can come back. But... It it just seemed to be a pattern of he's not going to be true to his word. But at the same time, there's so much details and so much backup that you don't want to just discount it or turn your back or be cold hearted. Um, In addition to this was his brother's financial needs um, and his brother's three kids. And all of a sudden, oh, the brother's going to be evicted and he needs money. And so you cough up a few thousand to stop them from being evicted. And oh, his car is damaged and he just got a new job. Can he use yours? Because you just had the baby and you're not using it. Um, And I'll take you places. And his brother takes off with my car and doesn't appear again. I've got to turn it in for the lease and he's nowhere to be found. And you can't report it as stolen because you let the person borrow it. It comes back that it's been in an accident and he had a convenient excuse for it. uh, That somebody else has swiped him and taken off and turns out he didn't have car insurance that he'd given me proof of that he did and it turned out to be fraudulent. And so then you're there, well, you know, how do you do a lawsuit about this? How do you get the money back? And the whole time is I'm getting hit with the financial penalties again and again and again. 
And yet, amid all the chaos, Chris could be warm and affectionate. He still had that bravado. And he was so convincing that even Aaron's parents liked him. Chris kept his stories going, especially his claims of being a fireman. To bolster the stories, he frequently wore fire department uniforms. Mainly, he had a few pictures of him in turnout gear standing by the fire truck, and he had an extensive amount of uniforms. Um, And he would wear them out and about, which seemed odd to me. So not the full turnouts, but like the casual wear that you would wear while just sitting around in the station. And he said it was important to him. So, but when we'd run into people, one uh, particular instance where Bass Pro shops and a man had stopped and said, what station are you, you at? And he said, 87th. And the guy looked at him and was like, you, you weren't at 87th. I was at 87th. And he's like, oh, I must have been there before you. I'm retired now. And he would claim to be retired from the fire department. But he knew about the captain there and the captain's wife getting breast cancer. Not specifically detailed, but enough that, you know, you could see the other guy seemed perplexed, but had enough information to kind of move on. So there was things like that which would help reinforce stories. Chris went so far as to get firefighter license plates, even though, as Aaron eventually learned, he wasn't entitled to them. His story about being a Los Angeles fireman was a complete fraud, but he kept it going. He even impersonated a local firefighter on the news. You know how they have the roving reporters and every time there's some little weather event, they go and interview people locally and they stopped us outside of a Target shopping center uh, right near Lost Canyon uh, in Santa Clarita. And we're asking about the winds and the high wind advisories and all of that. And he was wearing this LA fireman's pullover thing that you would wear at the station. And, you know, oh, okay, from a local fireman. <laughs> it was just like, oh, boy. Um, yeah, he got himself interviewed on the local news in that getup, talking about the high winds. Um, it, it's just amazing how widespread it was. But the same thing, he would wear this um, military jacket to tell people he was still active military and had his name stenciled in it. And he got his picture taken with people like even Dustin Hoffman and beyond film sets and I'm military. And, you know, people, they look at, okay, the head is shaved and the jacket's right. Okay. He must be military. Oh, and a fireman too. So he's ex-military, he's a reservist and a fireman and a set medic. And it, it just kind of piled up and piled up and it's, It's pretty astounding when you look at it. But then, when her younger son was nine months old, her older son, age 10, made a discovery on the family's home computer. Chris was sexting with another woman. Getting ready for school, and it was coming up live as they were chatting back and forth. So um, she was apparently a school teacher, and... um, he was 
supposedly driving to work, and it was this sex chat going on. The sexting was playing out live on screen. Erin jumped into the chat, announced that she, the wife, was reading it because Chris left it up, and she also saw his history with all the other women. Chris soon called her, abasing himself, calling himself names, and saying he wanted to commit suicide because he's a sex addict. Erin was ready to leave her husband, but her older son asked her to stay. And, and that was actually the same time of uh, him saying, Mom, it's, you know, can't you just put up with it and don't do to my youngest what happened to me? Why did her older son's request affect Erin so powerfully? Guilt. You know, it's... It's, I, 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 I want to be completely clear that it was absolutely the wrong decision for me to make. But I just so took it upon myself that if I just try harder and if I just do more, you know, I can, I can make this okay. And that somehow it was up to me to not screw my son's lives up and that I was to go through yet another divorce. You know, I would further hurt him and now my baby as well. Erin decided to stay in the marriage and try to fix her husband's problems. I, I believed his, he's a sex addict crap and I paid for the therapy out of pocket which cost thousands of dollars again. And I just remember, you know, having this young child and I'm working two jobs and you're paying so much money to take care of him and these medical bills and his court fees and the child therapy fees. And, you know, I'm so barely, barely, barely holding it together. And then the robberies keep happening and my stuff keeps disappearing, but he seems to always be on, easy street and have new toys and be going on places and private vacations and okay so your therapist says you need this and you pay out the money and my god sex addiction treatment's not cheap the sex therapist sent chris to a behavioral therapist chris told aaron that the behavioral therapist tested him and said he had a strong personality he likes to be in control, and he wasn't a sex addict after all. And then I said, well, what's the outcome of this? And he's like, well, he just got in my face. And he goes, you feel that need to hit me? He's like, yeah. And he's like, just don't act on that. And he said, that was over, and I was fine. I was cured. And it was just like, really? That's, that's the end of this? This is the end of the thing? And so he didn't go back to the sex addiction therapist or doctor said it was all done. And of course, I'm so financially drained at that point and got a baby and everything else. So it's just like, okay, fine, whatever. I, I guess problem solved. The family moved several times. Eventually, Erin found a home that they could afford to buy. I found a great deal for a home, but he says that 
you know, there's interesting financing there and um, interesting things with the loan. And because it's a USDA rural loan, we can't seem like we have too much money. And it kept having me sign paperwork and paperwork. And when we go to close the deal for the loan, I'm putting the money down for it. And he doesn't have the closing costs, so I'm coming up with the thousands of dollars for the closing costs. Everything closes and we're ready to move in. And I find a divorce decree. And he had gotten a dissolution of marriage and it said we had no children. And all property and all everything is in his name and that we have no share property, no kids, no anything. And he stated it was needed for the loan to go through because we had too much money. It wouldn't matter, it's just a piece of paperwork. I will get married right afterwards. And it turned out that he was having a relationship with the loan officer at Rand Life and had been calling her and emailing her in a pretty sexual intense relation. I don't think she's aware of it, but I could probably see where all of these weird things that he was making me sign. And one that, you know, I needed space to go find myself. And it's like, I'm not signing this. I mean, the loan officer doesn't need this. What what does this need to be given alone? It's it's it didn't make sense. Um shortly after we moved in there because then it's like I've given up the apartment he's saying it's just for this loan I didn't know about the affair yet and so we move into the house and I'm already kind of just frantic here and he immediately needs to go he buys two new cars and then goes on disability so I have two new car payments a house payment the move costs all of this other stuff, and I'm the sole person paying all of the bills for everything that's all in his name. Chris was exerting more and more control over Erin. He kept pressuring her to pay all the bills. He also had Erin and the boys under surveillance. In fact, he'd been keeping tabs on her throughout their relationship. The earliest tabs was shortly after he'd moved himself into my apartment. And I was using the computer one day and the mouse starts moving weird. It's like, what on earth? And he's on the phone with me. And I think he said he was at work or something. And I was just like, hold on, the computer's acting up. And it happened, like, for five minutes, this continued, and then he starts laughing. And he's controlling it remotely. And he's like, yeah, I've been watching what you're doing. I was like, that's really disturbing. Why? Why are you logged in remotely watching me? Because it was something, too. He had been asking me, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And it was... To me, not funny. I told my uh, stepmom about it. 
she was like, yeah, that's really not funny. That's, but he thought it was hilarious. And so that was probably the earliest warning sign. And there was always these check-ins after that. Um, then I started noticing the, my phone that on an installation, there was a tracker on it and it was recording my information and then my emails were being forwarded to a different email. And it was just like, what is going on here? Um, my phone had to be through his account, um, through Verizon and he wouldn't give me the password to it. I had to pay the bill but I couldn't see what was going on with it. Um, and then the cameras started. So he had decided that he was a drone camera operator and had all of these little cameras all over the part, put them on everything. And I started finding them hidden around the house. And so the first one, he's like, well, I just wanted to see if it worked in the dark. And it was like, okay, but this is pointed to where I sleep on the bed. And I'm not okay with this. And you covered it up with a bunch of our kids' stuffed toys so I wouldn't see it. And then it was another one. He's like, well, I wanted to see if the babysitter was stealing from us. And then he showed me some video of the babysitter. And then the Nest cameras started coming in. And you would just find them hidden. And then one into the bathroom. And it was just, I, I began disconnecting them and then finally started throwing sections of them away. And it's like, because he would deny that they're there, deny that they were recording. It's like, fine. Okay, you know, let's, when you go to check the dumpster, let's see if you're going to call it out that I'm throwing these away as I find them. Shortly after they moved into the new home, Aaron discovered that Chris was cheating again with multiple women. Aaron confronted him. This time, he claimed he was still a sex addict and it was her fault. He claimed that Aaron sabotaged him and set him up for failure because the first doctor she found for him was Asian and his weakness was Asian women. Aaron wasn't buying it and began packing. Chris begged her to stay. Then he threatened her. He will get custody of our youngest because he has the house and he has the property in his name and I don't have anything. And the courts say we don't even have a kid. And um, if I declare fraud, and I sent this to the court too, that my hands aren't clean. And it was just like, I was so trapped and stuck in pain for him. His tactics worked. Erin was scared to leave, scared that if she did, Chris would take her son away. Chris said he wanted to go back to sex addiction therapy, and they found another therapist. Erin paid for that, too. It didn't seem to be helping. Chris became even more controlling. Eventually, Aaron discovered that he was physically abusing both boys. The youngest was only five and had difficulty describing what was happening. He was later diagnosed with autism. 
So how he would relate things would be really unusual. But what was notable with both of the boys is self-injury. And then my youngest especially relating abuse events, but unable to give like specifics of where, when, what caused it, everything that would help something make sense. Um, so those had started and one in particular the school had called me for um, because they had both started making threats of suicide, um, both of my kids. If, you know, this isn't normal and this is bad and they're saying it's due to this occurring at the house. And it was just, it, it did get reported. And when it first began, I didn't know of the, the physical um, abuse going on with the boys. Um, the eldest two events happened for me. It was right before leaving. Um, and it was something I intervened in to make sure it stopped. Um, but my youngest, because it wasn't happening in my witness and his inability to relate it well, really made it difficult for me to be aware, except for the bizarre behavior and the, the fractured statements and just the fear. But combined with that fear of something was going to get him, something was going to hurt him, and fear of his father's anger, and especially his father's silence, was also this deep need of, Dad, pay attention to me. And his father could just take out a, like a stick of gum, and my youngest would act like it was Christmas morning, and he was so elated. So any, the slightest positive feedback, and he was elated and happy and giggling and grabbing onto his legs. And, you know, it's just like, what's the message here? Is something going on or isn't there? The school continued reporting suspected child abuse to the Department of Child and Family Services, or DCFS. Sheriffs came to their home the sheriff's coming out and you know I was telling them I'm we're being recorded there's a camera on us we can't really talk can we go somewhere else can we speak somewhere else and it was refused um DCFS had suggested I leave my youngest son behind and go to a shelter alone and leave my youngest with him which wasn't an option um and then it became clear that Chris had been physically hurting my youngest um I had walked in from buying groceries one day and my youngest just absolutely streaked down the stairs crying and got behind me and hid behind me and Chris came down just raging and he kind of caught his my youngest caught his breath and that his dad had just punched him in the stomach because he wasn't brushing his teeth fast enough and it got so threatening and heated and violent 
with that, that I stood up to him and kept my youngest behind me, but it was this, I am calling the police. And he stormed out and he said, I'd never see him again and told our youngest, you know, it's your fault, I'm leaving. And told me if I called the police, um, he would say that I attacked him and I would be arrested and this was his home and I was trespassing and all of that. So it was just this horrible confrontation there. But from that point on, the one benefit was it is that he had two other girlfriends at the time and so he stayed more with them but on the flip side of that even though it was a little bit easier is he kept taking our son out of our youngest son out of school and disappearing with them and then it's just like where is he when is he coming back when and he's like he'll come back when I feel like it and I couldn't do anything about it. Erin knew she had to get out. She refused to have sex with Chris, so he forced himself on her while she was asleep. She began wearing jeans to sleep, so Chris punched her, claiming he was having a nightmare. Finally, she slept on the couch. To prepare for escape, Erin started squirreling money away. She tried to collect documents that she knew would be important, but they kept disappearing. The worst was that Chris still had Erin and the boys under surveillance. In fact, he recorded her older son in his bedroom. And I flipped out and I went off on him of how inappropriate that was and how perverse it was and that you're trying to use that to turn me against him. I don't care if my kid called me the B word. He's, you know, a preteen. It's okay. You know, he's not getting what he wants out of mom. I don't care if my kid is having a private moment. What I care about is some pervert is not only videotaping this, but then thinking that they're going to use that against him to damage our relationship. Um, And it was the most horrifying, oh my God moment. And then a coworker had told me of him showing him a photo of me naked um, coming from the master bedroom bathroom and into the bedroom and him making fun of me and all of this. And what's horrifying is when I reported this to the police, they laughed at me. They actually laughed at me and said, well, maybe he thinks you're cheating on him. And it was just like, oh, dear God. When Erin learned that Chris was abusing her older son, she sent him to live with his biological father. Then she had to figure out how to escape. The last couple of months is I was trying to hide money to get away and get away and get away. And he pretty much knew that we were leaving and the schools had already been calling the uh, Department of Child and Family Services, so DCFS, um, reporting child abuse. And 
even letting them know I'm trying to get away. But the neighbor had died um, in the house next to us. And he wanted to take a loan out on the house we were in to pay for that house, to have it in his name. He stated he wanted me to move into that house so he could continue to see our youngest while I made both house payments. And it was just this perfectly logical thing of this is what you need to do in the best interest of our son. And it was just like, oh, dear God, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. But it was the whole sales pitch of how evil I would be to abandon my son or to steal him from him while also getting taunted that I would lose custody even though he was the one being reported for abuse because he had this house and the property was all in his name. Um, But we did finally like did enough squirreled away and a couple of the neighbors had helped us out to find a cheap place and we pretty much left with the shirts on our back and left the furniture behind, uh, took our clothing, half of my kids' toys, and got out of Dodge fast. And even after that was these demand texts and messages that I needed to pay for the damage to his home and I needed to pay for his vehicles and I needed to continue to pay for his insurance. It's like, what do you mean? I paid off your insurance for the full year. It's not my fault if you bought another car. It's like, I'm not paying for it. Um, But it's remarkable to me how hard it was for me to get to that point where I refused to pay. And even as we were leaving, I was still stuck in this thing of, feeling obligated to support him and I don't know why I had gone so far down that rabbit hole that his survival was dependent on me and his finances were dependent on me and the best interest of our youngest was dependent on me when you know it's looking back in hindsight 2020 after years of trauma therapy of knowing that it was all just a manipulation and a ruse but it was always playing on my guilt and my need to protect somebody or save somebody especially the stories and narratives were always that they were the victim of some greater evil and you know even when it was begrudgingly i would still jump in and help or do my part and I, I can't even count up how many, oh my God, how much money was lost due to him. And of course, the court cases fighting it afterwards and the trauma care for my children and I afterwards that we're still in to this day, how many years later, eight years later, um, it, it's it's been devastating. I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. Be 
sure to listen to part two of Erin's story about her abusive ex-husband, Christopher Lum, and how she finally got herself and the boys away from him. I also invite you to listen to expert commentary related to this story. I interview a divorce coach with expertise in child abuse investigations. To listen to this show ad-free, please subscribe to True Love Fraud Stories. As a subscriber, you'll be invited to Love Fraud Live, my informal support group. I do a short presentation about sociopaths and narcissists and then answer your questions. Did you tell me that he pretended to be some kind of a military consultant on a TV show? Uh, A few times. Uh, One was a dive show where he said that he was a former military diver, but I told you that he told me that with Coast Guard. And then he was doing the tech advising on the film sets, but he tech advised, a tech advisor on a film set is that you hire somebody who is experienced in the industry to make sure that the details of the film or how they're doing something is as accurate as possible. So things like Grey's Anatomy will have that. um, um, Military shows will have that. So he did that a few times, um, tech advising, saying that he was a former nurse and he would say how to set up their hospital scenes, or he was a former fireman and how to set that up. And one that he was former military diver so he had a few of those. It's um, mainly when he got those jobs later on, he would not tell me about it. And I'd find out from somebody else what he had been up to. Um, but it was pretty cringeworthy. Um, call sheets still exist to those things. So I, I'm sure like, people in the industry who are listening to this are now pulling it up. It's like, wait, he said he was this. Let's pull this up. <laughs> so, True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. For more information about this story, other great stories, or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com. Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. You'll find articles, books, and webinars. You can also book an appointment with me, Donna Anderson, for a personal consultation. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.